Hey everyone, and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We all have an unquenchable thirst to know the future. We all want to know anything about what happens next. And people pay crazy amounts of cash to fortune tellers to have tea leaves and crystal balls and astrology and anything that can possibly give a hint about the direction of the future. But the problem is nobody knows about it except God. And we're wrapping up our life's toughest series question, and how do I face the future? That's our last question. How do we face the future? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 9 says, Since no man knows the future, who can tell what is to come? What does God have to say about the future? How do I face it? If only God knows about it, what do we do in the face of uncertainty? Well, I think it's good to start off knowing what not to do. So let's go get three not to do's. Number one, don't presume about tomorrow. Proverbs 27, 11 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring forth. It's so true, isn't it? You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We're only a heartbeat away from eternity. So many times, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. I was on a trip this past week and I went to Connecticut and I saw this one guy who was flying through four levels or lanes of traffic and he was doing like 100 and everybody else was doing about 70. And the amount of near misses that that guy did was unbelievably lucky. And he was just one, one small move from wrecking his car and dying. I mean, it was that close. It was, it was crazy. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. So don't presume about it. See, we presume all the time when we plan without praying. The number one way we presume about the future, think about it, is buying on credit. You know, we max out our credit cards for what? Because we don't know what tomorrow, we don't even know if we're going to pay it off. We think we're going to pay it off. We assume we're going to have a job. We assume all this stuff and we got to have it now. So we buy things on credit, payment plans. And sometimes payment is hard. It's like buying furniture. You say, oh, you don't have to pay for a year. Then read the fine print. Then the the interest rate, it becomes retroactive and it's like 31%. It's insanity. You got to be careful. Don't presume about tomorrow. Second not to do. Don't panic about tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. Love that translation. You don't worry about the future because worry is an attempt to control it. And guess what? It doesn't work. When you worry about the future, you somehow think you're in control, but <sighs> worrying is like stewing without doing. It's trying to play God and assuming the responsibility, but you have no impact. It doesn't control tomorrow. Worry just ruins today. There's no point. Unfortunately, the future doesn't come to us all at once because we wouldn't be able to handle it. It comes to us in bite-sized pieces. It's kind of like 24-hour segments. It comes day by day. That's how we're supposed to live, one day at a time. The Bible doesn't say, give us this day our annual bread, all the bread we're going to need for the year. No, he says, give us our daily bread because that's all we can handle. Give us that short little pieces. Life by the yard is hard, but life by the inch is a cinch. I know that is so cheesy. I read that and I just had to share that cheesiness with you. Life by the yard is hard, but life by the inch is a cinch. Oh, that is so bad. Okay. Anyway, I just couldn't help it. Number three, what not to do. Don't procrastinate. Oh, I'm so good at this though. I mean, I'm so good at not doing this. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. 
What has God told you to do this year you just haven't done? What have you put it off? Do it now. You know, when I'm writing this, I still haven't done my taxes and I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off for no reason other than just procrastinating. So I'm writing this thinking, as soon as I'm done writing this, I'm going to do my taxes. And you know what? I did. And it felt so good to get it done. And then my tax guy's like, you know what? Just come by, drop it off five days later. So I could have put it off for like four more days, but I didn't. There's no perfect time. There's no perfect conditions. You see, perfectionism is at the root of most procrastination. We set such a high standard that we never get started. But the fact is we live in an imperfect world and we're imperfect people and we can't do anything perfectly. And you don't have time to do it. And we try to do everything perfectly and then when it messes up, we're like, oh, I should have just put it off. I found another cheesy poem on the internet. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change my life. In fact, I will tomorrow. You see, we wait and wait and wait and we waste our lives. But God says, don't do these three things. Don't panic. Don't presume. Don't procrastinate. So what should we do about an uncertain future? Joshua chapter one is God's pep talk to Joshua. He needed to know what to do because he was facing an uncertain future. He had just moved his people from slavery and he's about to enter into a promised land. And and it's kind of scary. And they're on one side of the Jordan River, running, ready to get ready to go in. And Joshua, he says to him, you need to be courageous. And he says it three times. How do you face an uncertain future? Well, we had three what not to do's. Now we have three what to do's. Number one, set up a plan. You see, God plants. He just doesn't do things spontaneously. And if you're going to be godly, you must learn how to plan. Some people think that you can go through life and just drift through it. And whatever God wants is fine, but it's not smart. You got to have a plan. You got to plan your future because you're going to spend the rest of your life there. Joshua chapter one, verse two and three says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. The first step to success is to prepare, to get ready plan to possess what God has promised. Life is going to be a combination of both battles and blessings. It's not automatic. See, a lot of things you have to fight for in life. Joshua was a man of conviction. He never gave up in in spite of incredible opposition. He was a man of character, integrity. He never gave up no matter how hard the battles were. Joshua 1 verse 11 says, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. See, the future belongs to the person who prepares for it. Successful people set up a plan. They get ready and make the most of their time and life and energy. Do you do that or do you just drift through life? Remember in verse two, it says, Moses, my servant is dead. One of the ways you prepare for the future is letting go of the past. Oh, and that is so tough. I mean, God is reminding Joshua, the very first thing he said, hey, the guy you loved, the guy you spent the last 40 years following, the guy that you were serving all this time, the guy that's probably one of your best friends, he's gone. He's no longer here. And we got to move on. And he'll always be in your thoughts. And that's great. But in order to do what you got to do, you have to move forward. You got to let go. 
Sometimes we hold on to those past relationships and it keeps us from possessing the future. Maybe there's been a death and you're still holding on to that. Maybe someone walked out of your life and you wanted them to stay. Some of us are still trying to uh, to get the approval of our parents, which we'll never receive. And some of you are sadly allowing people who hurt you in the past to continue to be hurt by them in the present. Just let them go. God says, let go of the past. Moses is dead, but I have a plan for your life. Proverbs says, don't go charging off into battle without a plan. Proverbs 16, 9 says, we should make our plans counting on God to direct us. When you plan without letting God direct you, that's presumption. When you plan prayerfully, that's wisdom. Second thing that we have to do, now that we did the first thing of setting up a plan, is to stay in God's word. Joshua 1, 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. What does he mean? He's saying, don't go to the right or the left. Don't get sidetracked. See, a lot of people start off on a great plan, but then they get sidetracked. It's like you can take a little switch and flip it. And you do that with a train on train tracks. You can flip a huge train from one track to another. And if it's that easy to sidetrack a tremendously large locomotive, then how easy is it to sidetrack your brain, your thoughts, your plans? And sometimes we do that by very good things. Maybe a promotion, maybe a hobby or a relationship, sports, and or even an illness or children, good or bad. If it sidetracks you, it's going to have a negative effect on your life. Why is it that some people start out so good in the Christian life and then get sidetracked? It's because they didn't stay in the Word. They didn't stay in the Bible every day. Coming to church every week isn't enough. It's like, think about it. It's like eating one meal a week instead of every day. And if you eat that one meal a week and then fast the rest of the week, oh, it's going to be miserable. You're going to have spiritual indigestion. You need to read the Bible every day, feed on it every day, not just one big feast. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, God's promise of success is based on your commitment to his word. Why? Because the word of God is like an owner's manual for life. They're operating instructions. And when in doubt, look at the manual. And you can find out that life can be a lot easier because you're going to find the principles God has for you and you're going to avoid the pitfalls that you can easily do. The more you ignore this, the more pain and problems you're going to have. The more you follow it, the more your life is going to count and matter. So God says, set up a plan. Second, stay in the word. Now, what does it mean to stay in the word? Well, I think there's three ways we can do that, to stay in the word. Number one, don't let it depart out of your mouth. In other words, you got to talk about it. Talk about it with people. Find someone you can talk about it with. Or even better yet, get into a small group with your local church. And if you don't talk about it with anybody, you're probably not getting the real truth of it in your life. You need to talk. This weekend when I was away, I had some great conversations with a guy that I just met. And he he was coming from a very similar background as me. And he was just talking about difficulties he was having with, with seeing people 
and experiencing it in the church. And we were able to talk and sharpen each other and come up with some great points because we're just talking about it. And that's how we kind of, I stayed in the word. Like I was talking about it with this guy and it was wonderful. So don't let it depart out of your mouth. Second, meditate on a day and night. In other words, think about it all the time. Digest it. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. You know how worry is. You just think about it over and over and over and over again. And it drives you crazy. Well, meditate, you just take a positive verse and look at it positively and think about it over and over and over again. And that worry goes away. So many times I've done that in the past when, I, when I'm really struggling. And I'm really having a rough time. Like I remember when, when my dog passed away. Now this was the, I would say the most traumatic event in my life for the last 20 years is when my dog passed away. I know that sounds kind of pathetic, but it's not because it was, I always call, I had three kids when it, when it, when my dog passed away and I viewed that one as my firstborn. I even called Zephy that. He was my firstborn. He was my child. I loved that dog. I had him since he was seven weeks old till he was over 15. And when he passed away, part of me died with him. And it was painful. And I remember thinking I was all alone, even though my wife was right there. And I had to, and I actually like kept going over the thoughts. The way I was getting over it was, I didn't really get over it. That's terrible. I hate it when I, I can't believe I just said that. But you never get over a loss. You you move on and the loss's pain gets less over time, but you never get over it. I'm still not over it. I'm looking at my other dog who's sleeping on my bed right now, right behind me, snoring, and I've tried to talk over the snoring. And I've even waken, woken the dog up several times. But I still miss my other dog, my first dog. And... And the way I, I worked through it was that I meditated on it and said, God loves me and he's there for me. And no matter what I go through in life, he cares for me. And I just wanted to know that somebody cares for me because I was, I was in so much pain. And my wife was there, but I needed a little bit more. And, and I was able to meditate on that and God was there. Third thing we have to do to not let the word depart is to do it. Practice what it says. Be a walking, talking, living Bible. Now, I'm not talking about superficial Christianity, like focusing on a list of do's and don'ts. The Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of promises. It's, it's a love story from God to a people that just literally kept denying and doing the exact opposite of what God wanted them to, to do. You got to remember, you know, Christianity is more about embodying the principle of loving. What are we supposed to do is love God and love our neighbor. Those are the two biggest things. Remember, Jesus came and died for our sins so we can be forgiven and enter into a relationship with heaven. But why is it that so many Christians are just judgmental? And they focus on such small, silly things like, ooh, cursing. Oh, that's so bad. You know what's worse? is when I tell my daughter that she's worthless. That's worse than any cuss word. I could care less about cussing. Now, I just don't do it, but I don't care about it because it seems like it's so superficial. It doesn't get to the heart of the matter. We Remember, the Bible says we are a proud and stiff-necked people who constantly tear each other down and curse God to his face. But you know what? He still sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. And all we have to do is accept his forgiveness. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to comfort us every day of our lives.
And we need to dedicate time to him, talking and listening. Joshua was a busy man leading a nation of a couple million people, but he always sent time to talk to God. So what's the best time of the day for you? Do a little homework and begin to set up a daily time. Try it. It's I know it's hard, but try it. Proverbs 61, we make, make our plans, but God has the last word. Oh, ain't that the truth? Because if you're not in the Bible every day, you may be getting ready to make a decision to close a deal. But if you would have read the Bible through, you would have been like, maybe I should wait. You always want to get the last word from God before you go make the decision. And if you're not reading the Bible every day and thinking about it, meditating on it and talking about it, you might miss that important wisdom. All right, third total thing that we have to do is step out in faith. See, faith is not just believing something mentally. Faith is action. So you can believe a plane is safe to fly, but until you get on the plane and travel, well, do you really have faith in it? It's an action step. It's more than just saying, I believe. More than just believing in Jesus. Remember, the devil does too. It means more than just knowing him. It means committing yourself to him. Letting God be number one in your life. Letting him call the shots. Letting him be the CEO. Helping you to make the right decisions. And three times in this chapter, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua needed courage. What's courage? It's not the absence of fear. Oh, no, 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 no. Courage is when you move ahead in spite of your fear. If you're not afraid, then you don't need courage. You need courage when you move against fear. When you want to possess your future, do the thing you fear the most. How do you get rid of fear? Move against it. Don't rationalize it. Don't use logic. Don't psych yourself up. You physically move against the fear. You do the thing that you were afraid of. Think about it. Israelites are on one side of the Jordan River, and they got to cross this thing, and then they're going to have to go into war against seven different nations for a number of years that are all more powerful than them. What gave Joshua the confidence to do that? Joshua 1.9 says, I've commanded you to be determined and confident or strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. Afraid and discouraged are the two enemies that will keep you from possessing your future. They will keep you from becoming all that God wants you to be. Fear keeps you from getting started. Discouragement keeps you from keeping on. See, the bottom line is that fear keeps you in the desert. Think about it. The actual number of days that the Israelites needed to take to walk from Egypt to where Israel was, was about three weeks. But it took them 40 years. They're just wandering around the desert. They came up the first day and they're like, ah, we're afraid. Let's go back to Egypt. It was painful there. They were slaves, but it was safe. They knew what it was. They could predict it. But and rather than force the issue and face the unknown and move into the promised land, but literally he said, we got to step out of faith. So as soon as the high priest stepped into the river, the water of the Jordan River stopped flowing and it piled up. And when they left Egypt, Moses held out his hand and the Red Sea parted and they walked through it. And the Red Sea parted first and then they walked through it. Forty years later, they're coming to another water, body of water, the Jordan. And at normal time, it's about 300 feet wide and 40 feet deep. But now it's at flood stage. It's overflowing. And God says, this time, instead of me opening it first, I want you to step out into the water. Test me. So the priest with the Ark of the Covenant, think 
the Ark from Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've ever seen it or you've seen pictures of it, you can Google it right now. Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark, that great classic movie. You gotta watch it. Indie is it's so good. Anyway, so the priests walk into the water carrying this ark, and they put their feet in, and the water's up to their ankles, and nothing happens. So they take another step, and the water goes up to their knees, and they're waiting for it to part. And they take another step, and the water goes up to their thighs, and now they're getting a little nervous. They step a little further, and it comes up to their chest. And the Bible says as soon as they stepped into the water, the water stopped flowing. But you got to read the next chapter to see what really happened. 17 miles north up the Jordan River, God dammed up the water. And the moment they stepped in it, he had dammed it up. But that water that flowed for 17 miles had to go somewhere. So if it stopped flowing at the top, that means it's got to go for 17 straight miles until it's gone. How long did that take? I don't know, but they've already stepped into the water. They didn't know that it was stopped immediately. And it took some time. So what's the point? It's saying the first step is always the hardest. That's the step that requires faith. It required faith for those guys to carry the ark into, into the water. First step is always the hardest. That's the step that requires faith. You lay it on the line and watch me bail you out. So what, if I could be a little, what is your Jordan River? What is it that looks insurmountable, impossible, something you can't face financially, physically, health-wise, relationally, emotionally, spiritually? What is it? What is your Jordan River? Where do you need to step out in faith and say, you know what? I got to do this because I've been in the desert and it's time for me to move on into the promised land. See, Joshua was a man of conviction. He was willing to do what was right, whether anybody else agreed to it or not. See, 40 years earlier, they had sent 12 spies into the land. They looked around and came back and 10 said, oh my gosh, they're giants. We can't do this. Joshua and Caleb were like, no, man, we got this. Who says they're, man, it can be done. And you know what? 40 years later, nobody remembers the 10 who says it can't be done. You only remember the people who said we can. You never find a statue built to a critic. Statues are built to people who are criticized their entire lives. You have no way to control the future. We don't even know what it is, much less control. But the good news is God is in control. And if you trust him to control what is out of your control, you don't have to worry about it. But it begins with commitment. God, I commit my future to you. You be my savior, my deliverer. See, the name Joshua means savior, deliverer. And several thousand years later, God told another mother to name her baby Joshua. God told Mary to name her baby Joshua. Now, Jesus is the Aramaic phrase of Joshua. They're the same name in different languages. Jesus would be a deliverer, a savior, just like the first Joshua. But the second Joshua, Jesus, doesn't want to take possession of a piece of land. He wants to take possession of your life. He wants to be your deliverer, your guide through an uncertain future because he's been there. Philippians 4.13 says, there's nothing I cannot master with the help of Christ who gives me strength. When Christ is the master of your life, you can master any circumstance. There's nothing you can't master. You can handle any illness, any failure, the death of a close loved one, unemployment, anything. Because Jesus masters the circumstances for you. But if he's not the master of your life, we tend to be mastered by our circumstances. They tend to control you and whip you around back and forth. When you're in shaking times, 
You know, many of us are going through an emotional earthquake, a relational earthquake, or a financial and spiritual one. And you don't know what's going to happen. You aren't going to know because God wants you to trust him. So make a commitment today. Say, you know what? I can't control the future, but you know who can? God can. I don't have to do those three things. I don't have to procrastinate. I don't have to presume or panic. But what I can do is I can set up a plan. What do you want me to do with my life? What do I think God wants me to do with my life? Well, I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to stay in his word and get directions on a daily basis. And he'll have the last word. And then I'm going to step out in faith and do what God wants me to do. Even if there's an insurmountable problem, like like waters, <laughs> he's going to handle it for me. Well, that does it for this series on life's toughest questions. I hope it encouraged you. And I look forward to the next pod starting a new series about you, what it means to be a Christian at work. It's a little short series, but it should be really helpful to your daily work life. Well, anyway, have a wonderful day and God bless. See you in the next pod.